publisher of White Cat Publications, and we published a book called All Worlds Awakening by author Joel Russo. And today I'm going to interview him and ask him some questions about his uh, choice of words and his choice of uh, characters and plot and so forth. So let's get started. How are you doing today, Joel? I'm doing fine. Thanks for Good. Good. All right. Let's start your interview then. All right. Can you provide an overview of the world you've created in your book? And a second question, how did you come up with the concept for this unique setting? Well, okay. Well, essentially, the all worlds are everything, every dimension, everywhere. And not like the movie, everything at once, but it's like the um, yeah. all worlds are the multiverse. It's just, I, I wanted something I could call them that was mine and not just the multiverse because that's been used yeah. a lot. So it, it's like uh, I need it, all, all of my stuff happens in the all worlds. So that's really easy for it because all worlds, everything. But this way, if I need to do crossovers with characters from different stories, I don't have to make some kind of cunning and elaborate plan to get them together. It's like uh -huh. all I have to do is pierce this dimensional barrier and there you are. You know, it's like... <laughs> It's like I, theoretically everything everywhere would exist in the all worlds, but other authors might disagree with me. You know, like no, my stuff doesn't exist in your worlds. You know, so but but the, the multiverse is everything. Well, it's your world, right? Yeah, it's unique. But it's Except my stuff. from their worlds, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, how did you come up with the concept for this unique setting? Well, it's um, how can I say it? It's like uh, I've always been into the multiverse. Ever since Flash comics about 50, 60 years ago, there was this thing they did Flash of Two Worlds. I was just getting into comics. I was like, I see. Five or six. It was like, and it's like, say, what's this here now? It's like, well, what they did is when they did the new Flash, they, the same writer of the old Flash was writing him, Gardner Fox, and he did this thing where the current Flash traversed the dimensions into the other universe and met the original flash and i go that's cool and that's that's why so the whole earth one earth two concept they went with for a long time so everything that happened in the old days was earth two the new stuff was earth one but i always liked that wow so here here's this kid i'm like maybe six at the time going <laughs> in school and i'm trying to explain to other kids about this stuff and they look at me like i'm a lunatic like <laughs> now nowadays it's no big deal i mean there, this stuff is all over the place in, in tv movie you know, other dimensions. Back then, it was pretty unique, and I was pretty unique, I guess. For that. Now, you'd be a normal six-year-old kid, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, I'm not sure what normal is, but um, <laughs> at the time, I, I was, I, I would just, I would tell stories, and they'd like them, and like, and then I was trying to explain the multiverse concept, and they're like, "What? I don't get it." How can you how can you have two things in the same spot at the same time? Well, you see, they exist in different vibrat vibratory rates at the same time, and uh, on and on. And oddly enough, that's pretty much I think the current um, uh, multiverse concept is yeah. uh, things unique vibrational rates to that particular plane of existence. And uh, they did a, there was a Star Trek Next Generation that dealt with that once too. I remember, and it's like. Yeah, that's that's my thing. <laughs> I like that. So right. yeah, everything like the one movie, everything all together, all at once, you know, but separate. So all right. Yeah. That's pretty good, actually. Um it's good but to pretty much, how, pretty much how mine worked. All right. So, what inspired the blending of magic, 
fantasy and science fiction elements in your story? And how do you balance these different genres? Well, kind of had to have it because if we're talking all worlds of the multiverse, there's going to be some crossover of magic, science, stuff like that. I, I couldn't just not do one and the other. So you've got people who can fire lightning bolts from their fingers um, by incanting a spell going into a universe where people like use high high tech weaponry and it's like, well, they've got to be able to exist together. Now it may be that one doesn't work and the other. There there will be some worlds where explosives don't work, for instance. Right. Um, and worlds where magic doesn't work. But that doesn't mean they don't exist. And, and they realize that when you know, when they get there, this stuff doesn't work here now. In fact that shows up in the book at one point. There's right a place where explosives don't work. And uh, and as far as balance I, I don't know. Every, everything fits into wherever it fits into. It's, I don't. I don't try to um, tout one above the other or something like that. Or or magic is garbage and you got to go technology or the other way around. It's just they all exist and they all have to get along in some fashion, <laughs> or, or or ignore each other completely. Or pigeonhole your explanations of each genre, right? Yeah, yeah. It, don't it's do like, that either. You just kind yeah. of blend them together, right? Right. It's just like, yeah, they, they kind of have to coexist. And, and, and they, the people in the book realize how this works, well, most of them anyway. Right. And, and some of the magic users have technology and, you know, vice versa. Some of the technology users complain they don't have magic at one point. And it's like, <laughs> like I need that magic stuff, man. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. The, uh, your book features a diverse cast of characters with various magical and technological abilities. Mm -hmm. How did you develop and differentiate them? Oh, gosh. A lot of these characters have existed since I was a kid. Um, I, I, you know, in, in, in stuff my friends and I did, and they just, I just carried them along with me. I don't, <laughs> I don't tend to get rid or discard anything. I adapted. Right. It's like, I, I used to draw, I used to draw superhero heads. For instance, and so really? some, some of the name, yeah, I, I used to do this whole cast of like new superheroes. I mean, they were terrible at the time. I was very <laughs> old. I redid them later on; they were better. But some of the names have come up. In fact, one or two of the names come up in this book. Actually, come to think of it, um, it was like it was things like that. I just I just brought them along with me. Um, the Valdurians who feature in this book were something from, oh gosh, the seventies. I think it was. I was. I was doing long, long story, but you know, some, some of our, some of us would have like wars for who who my well my characters would beat your characters, and you know we'd have to come up with rules why this or that didn't work that kind of thing. There, it's like no, no, you can't just do that, you know that sort of thing. But I kept the name, and, and it seemed like too good a name to throw away. So it is and, actually, and it's like I I, and I, I use them, so and why not? <laughs> But you didn't answer the question exactly. Um, you know, it's quite intricate, you know, but um, how do you, um, oh, we've got a diverse cast mm -hmm. of characters with various magical and technological ability. Now, how did you develop them and differentiate them? You told the story of developing as a kid. Right. As an author, how did you differentiate them? Well, it, it depends on the character. Um, some of them have like magical and or super abilities, but, and some of them don't. And I just, 
let each character go in the direction that character needs to go in. Like like the one the guy who has super strength tends to be the leader of the group. The guy who has um, uh, modern weaponry, you know, is is more like support and that stuff. Like and 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 the smarter the character I is. See. The smarter the character is, they, they tend to be in charge. So, and and the smarter character is not necessarily the strongest character. So, you know, it just it depends on the situation. You know, I, they, they they find they find their own way, I guess you might say, or through me, they find their own way. So, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, the magic system in your world is quite um, intricate. How did you go about designing it? And well, what were the rules and limitations you established? Okay, well, since I was doing magic, I needed to um, have utilitarian magic. This isn't like the kind of stuff where characters, you know, you know, sit around a circle and do summonings and you know, commune with spirits necessarily. Yep. But they need stuff they can use at the drop of a hat. So it becomes magic. You can summon forth with a thought or a gesture or a word, not that the gestures or words themselves have power, but the the characters are trained to think of things in a certain way that if I right. do this, this happens. If I say this, this happens. Um, okay. The words and gestures themselves have no power. It's also more, more like a nervous tick. If you ever remember uh, Bewitched, she used to twitch her nose to make magic that wished yes yeah, I remember. she didn't have to but that's what she tended to do some of them just wave their arms or snap their fingers and stuff like that that you develop your own little ticks to kind of um kind of get you where you want to go like if someone was to have captured samantha and immobilized her nose that really wouldn't have stopped her <laughs> she just would have to think about it kind of. yep but um is like with the words or gestures not having powers of their own, this differentiates it from things like the Harry Potter universe. Apparently, the words alone have power. Okay. Uh, they were, there was this one scene where uh, Hermione was trying to explain it's Leviosa, not Leviosa. It's like, so how does pronouncing the word a certain way make a damn bit of difference? <laughs> it does in their world. So in some fashion, I'm guessing they're tapping into something they they have to have magical abilities themselves. It's like regular people can't do it. I'm guessing they're tapping into something that recognizes this word. And okay, by the authority investment, you said it right, so you get to do this kind of thing. Expect okay. a patronum. You get a patronus. You know, you get to levitate something. You do this. But apparently, in some fashion, the words themselves have power. In mine, they don't particularly. Not that there aren't some things like that here and there that you know, a right. word might summon a being. In fact, the Valdurians. If people were to say their name, it gets the Valdurian attention. Vice versa, if people say the word Valdurian, it right. will get the attention of people like, well, say what now? Who said that? Because a lot of people don't like them because they interfere with all their evil plans or whatever. And so they don't like the word. But but the words themselves don't have an inherent power. It's just they the people have trained themselves to draw forth stored power from their bodies. And I don't explain how the power comes from, but basically they, they tap into a, into cosmic forces and you know charge a little batteries. Everyone has a little bit of magic. It's just no one knows how to use it. The ones who use magic okay. regularly 
have a lot. And I developed a, a system that they, the, the spells are powered on SMUs. SMU stands for standard magical units. It's like a standard magical unit is the smallest amount of power a human can focus on to produce a magical effect. And you could argue whether magic is different from technology is, well, it's still producing a lightning bolt. It's just, so it's still electricity, but so is there inherent difference in magic and science? I don't go into that, but it's just a science usually has more elaborate ways of like, oh, we got to make a battery. We got to charge this. You got to put these terminals together. The person goes, I'm going to do a lightning bolt and thinks about it a little bit and boom. This is the kind of thing where if they're interfered with, like you don't usually people do a lot of magic in the middle of combat because it requires concentration. So if, if you're trying to come up with some. That's a limitation back, then, right? You have to step back a little bit because it's like, it, it would be like trying to compose something like trying to compose a sonnet in the middle of a, of a slugfest or something like that. And not that that's impossible. It just takes a while, I suspect. <laughs> now, <laughs> science fiction, exploring the science fiction elements, often explores advanced technology and futuristic concepts, right? How do you incorporate science and technology into a fantasy world, which is essentially what you do, right? Yeah. But you can argue that your fantasy world is a quasi-technological world also, right? But yeah. can you share any specific examples from your book? Well, for instance, um, the, the main group has this earbud they tend to use a lot that um, has amazing communicative powers over long distances, far, far better than what the, the group starts off with. But it's, um, they, they use that a lot for getting information back and forth. And it's also a convenient plot device for not having to have characters running back or yell a lot towards each other to explain right. things. So they, I use that there. And uh, uh, one, one character carries an, M, an M1 Garand rifle, for instance. You, you know, so um, it, it all seems to work together rather smoothly because they don't really think about it too much. They okay. don't think about magic and science so much being different as just it's a convenient thing that's available to use and you know, they, they don't worry too much about, well, is this science or technology? <laughs> Unless they're in World War One or the other doesn't work particularly. So Okay. Now, um, many readers have found your book's plot to be incredibly engaging. What were the key elements that drove the narrative? And how did you plan the story's twists and turns? Uh, well, I, I figured fallen gods and eldritch body snatchers were a good start to get something rolling there. <laughs> you know, it's like, if I can't do something with that, then I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. I, I just, I just worked for, I just worked from uh, fallen gods here. Okay. Now we got eldritch body snatchers. Like the gods weren't particularly malevolent, at least, well, not most of them, but the body snatchers are, and, and they're hard to do. And they're all, there's lots of them. They're all over. But as far as planning things out, I didn't really. I don't tend to plan things in great detail. What I do is I set goals for myself. Okay, by the end of the end of the book, this has to have happened. Like like what? Well, the body snatchers have to be beaten. Oh yeah, that's a good goal. You know, and, and then it's along the way, depending on the setup, the characters involved, the world they're in. It's like the opportunities present themselves to um, 
move the story forward. And I just have to figure out, okay, I, I don't have a list of, okay, this has to happen by chapter seven, oh. mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It's just like, it's like by some point they have to have accomplished this. They have to have established what the body snatchers are, what they're trying to do, and then find ways of dealing with them. And well, that, you're thinking kind of allows your subconscious to set your plots, right? Well, yeah, yeah, you're cool. yeah, exactly. It's like, so I set goals and, and, and let the details kind of seep out as I go along. I, I find this is interesting. I find I give myself plenty of uh, details to work with when plots go like, well, how am I going to resolve this? Oh, wait, I put that in already. If I use this, this, and this, it will, it will, it will work. I, because I've done this, I've gone, like, did I just write myself into a corner? And like, no, no, I didn't. I already established blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's like, and I often find that will work. I, I, I've done that in any number of stories. And there's a lot of weird things. There's not related, but there was, um, they do show up at one point. Uh, there was a story in which it, it was, I was, it was a fairy tale mashup. And there's this one character who was, um, trying to, you know, like find a way to revive his lost love. And th- these were like, you know, Cinderella, Sleeping yep. Beauty, stuff like that. And um, I- I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, it was, um, oh, Vic Donner was the character's name. And then when I'm trying, to, I'm trying to establish like, well, who is Vic Donner? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, all this Vic Donner, Viking Thunder, Thor. <laughs> It's like I, I yeah. think like, oh, I didn't know I was going there, but it all it all fit together perfectly. I was like, well, I'll be damned. Thank you, me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the hell I'm doing half the time, but it seems to work out somehow. Well, allows your subconscious. Well, when you yeah. plot points, when you devise plot points mm-hmm. and only plot points, you right. like subconscious fill in the blanks, right? Right. Yeah. There you go. It's just like. And it does a pretty good job of it so far. Like, I, I haven't had to argue with myself too much. <laughs> now, the concept of world building is essential in fantasy and science fiction. So can you talk about the research and creative process that went into building this unique world, including its history, culture, and geography? Well, since I deal with a lot of different, you know, like mini worlds and stuff, there's not a ton of history elements and and not a whole lot of geography but i i assemble whatever elements i need to the one interesting thing that i did have to research was uh the knights of valoran use fragments of bifrost the rainbow bridge from norse mythology to traverse dimensions and i decided oh they're they'll activate it by singing off you know, it, it, off we go into the wild blue yonder. Oh, wait, no, off we go into the rainbow yonder. Wait, how can I do that in Norwegian? So I, I looked it up. I, I, I usually Google Translate first, but then I was like, and just, just to check, I, I, I knew an expert on the Norwegian language because he lived in Australia. Yeah, yeah at, the time he, at, the time, at the time he was, he had a job, he was living in, in one of the Norwegian countries. So I asked him, and he had a guy there translated. I was pretty close, but of course, with Google Translate, you know, you you get what they give you. You take they translated it perfectly. It 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 just literally goes off. We go into the into the rainbow yonder in Norwegian. So, and it's like, 
was like, okay, that was research. That that's that's a given. We had an actual Norwegian tell us how to do that. So, and um, as far as other research, there was one city I had trouble with. There was this weird city named New York. It didn't seem very realistic. So I had to look up what, what this New York thing was and how to make it realistic in the story. And oh, I'm yes. not sure if I accomplished or not. I mean, New York, New York's a very, I mean, New York is clearly a fantasy city, but I mean, you know, I figured I'd use it for my story, you know, see if I can make it work. But, yeah. All right. Now, let me ask you, uh, themes play often play a significant role in genre fiction, right? One of the central themes of your book and why did you choose to explore them in a magical, fantasy, and science fiction context? Well, um, good versus evil, obviously. But um, uh, the destructiveness of war is another one. There's a lot of destruction. Right. And primarily, though, the theme, no matter how bad things are, there's people that have your back. You know, like the Knights of Valor are there for you. You know, they'll do whatever they can to help. And it's like, okay. that, that's pretty much as, as far as for why a science fiction or fantasy setting, that's what I write or what I tend to write. And it's like, I, I, I usually work things into that sort of concept. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of what I do. I mean, I could write normal, normal. <laughs> I, I could write <laughs> non-fantasy or non-science fiction, but I'd always have that thing of like, I, like oh, I just want to put this into it, but I can't. You know, it's like because there's certain I mean, there's certain things in stories you can get away with, kind of being fantasy or sort of having a fantasy element, but it doesn't really manifest. You just it sort of seems to be there. Some stories can get away with that because it's like right. there's a there's a mood there's a mood invoked. It, it's I, I have trouble with that. It's like if you're not going to come right out and, and let us know there's something fantasy or eldritch or horror happening, you, you know, it's like it just it seems like kind of like they're wasting your time almost, but I have to say like that. Yeah. Everyone always has their particular ways of writing. There are some people who like to write, I don't know, almost fantasy. Like they're afraid to go full fantasy. I can't explain it. It's just, yeah. yeah. Every author is different. I think. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like they don't want, they, maybe they don't want to be pigeonholed as that fantasy author or something yeah. like that possibly or sci-fi sci-fi well as you may recall sci-fi didn't used to be um uh what's the word like kosher it was like oh sci-fi is just junk fiction or something like that it didn't have any literary value and it went through that for a long time oh science fiction is just that crap you get in that galaxy magazine or worlds of if it's just yep. like Oh, alien invasion, stuff like that. Not to say that's not true, but it, well, it was definitely its own fiction, you know. And it's like, yeah, it, alien invasions have done rightly could be just fine. I mean, yes, there's been. I guess so. Actually, yeah, Earth has been invaded by aliens so many times. Wow, <laughs> it's just look. I, I often wonder if I, I wonder if I could count them. I doubt it. There's so many uh, paperbacks, uh, comic books. Movies, TV shows, like that. Done along, done along those lines. Now, the last question I'm going to ask you is: uh, as an author, you've created a rich and immersive environment uh, that readers can get lost in. What do you hope readers will take away from your book, both in terms of enjoyment and any deeper messages or ideas you've woven into the narrative? That's kind of a long, complex question, but yeah. 
I well, think you can answer it. Well, I, I want to take away that the characters are enjoyable on some of these are people that in some cases you wouldn't mind hanging with and that are interesting. They're not just like powers or abilities or solution problem. They're interesting people that have something to say. And they're also ass kickers. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll go out of their way to deal with the problem in the way that probably does the least harm to anybody. Right. And, uh, and that these people have personalities. They're not just powers. They're personalities that just happen to have powers. Uh, as far as... um. Uh, as far as a takeaway, it's like um, that maybe this might be a world you'd want to know, a world you'd want to visit. It's like, hey, this is interesting. I'd like to see this place, you know. I'd like well, to be really, there. Maybe I could be the hero in this world, you know, that kind of thing. That's pretty wise, actually. Yeah. Oh, it makes sense. Oh, thanks. I, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> but, but, yeah. And actually, this is uh, Joel Russo that I'm interviewing. And his book is All Worlds Awakening, and we're going to release it in approximately two weeks. Maybe as early as next Wednesday, but definitely in two weeks, right? And it'll be a, it's a great, great read. And you should pay attention to this because he's an up-and-coming author, right? So, all right. All right. So I'll see you next time, Joel, and we'll do an interview a week for five weeks or six weeks. Okay. Maybe seven. All right, that's it, but goodbye and uh, have a nice day. Oh, thanks, you too. All right. Okay, bye-bye.